But I was so grateful, and I've listened to this last week to Christy's testimony. How many of you guys were blessed by that? Uh, it was just amazing. Um, and one of the things that she said that was really impactful for me, she said, I stand before man on God's behalf and speak truth to them. And God, or Jesus stands before God on my behalf and speaks truth about me to God. It's such a powerful image of the way that God uh, works through us and the way that Jesus represents us before the Father. So I'm so thankful for uh, what she offered last week. And this week, we are starting a new series. We're going to do a seven-week series, and we uh, are doing it. It's going to be focused on the Gospels. The Gospels are the stories about Jesus from the New Testament. And we're going to be looking specifically at who is Jesus teaching us God is? Who is God in the teachings of Jesus? We want to learn from Jesus about who God is. And so uh, I'm actually doing this as the first time we're going to do a collaborative uh, teaching uh, and collaborative sermon development thing. So I'm working with Donna Gurr, who uh, I know a lot of you guys know, and also another guy who, uh, he's a young man who attends Young Life. And he's going to be coming and preaching later in this series. And Don is going to give a message as well. So it's the first kind of try at sort of a collaborative um, preaching thing. And we're going to see how it goes. And I'm excited about it. And so what we did is we put down some verses of what we wanted to focus on. And that is in the back on the, in the foyer. So if you, don't, if you haven't been here for a while or if you don't know, we usually put our sermon series on a small piece of paper. It's in the back on a table. And that way you can know what the sermon's going to be on, the passage that it's going to be on um, in advance. And you can actually go and read that passage so you can come to church having already known uh, what the passage will be. And it will be, you know, right in there. So long as the Holy Spirit doesn't say, nope, it's going to be switching, which occasionally happens. But um, we write it down anyways. So this week we are on Mark 7. And I'm excited about this passage. I want to read it to you. I want to read this verse to you. And you don't have to read along, but I just I want you to have your Bibles open because we will be talking about it a bit. But let me read this to you. First, let's pray. Let's pray first. Lord, we come before you, and I just ask that you would come and inhabit our words, Lord. Would you come and speak through me to these people and deliver the word that you have for us this morning? Amen. This is Mark 7, verses 1 through 8. It says that the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, so these are you know, the religious leaders of the day, some of the Pharisees, some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, they gathered around Jesus, and they saw that some of Jesus' disciples were eating food with hands that were unclean. That is to say that they were not washed. They were eating food with unwashed hands. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing cups and pitchers and kettles, and that kind of thing. So the Pharisees and the teacher of the law, they ask Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands. And Jesus replied, he said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Mm. They worship me in vain. 
Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Let's go back to verse 5 there. Jesus, uh, as is normal, as you see throughout the Gospels, he's come into conflict with some of the religious leaders of the day. This is a common theme in the Gospels. Jesus' position on things, his way of teaching, his interaction with the people was constantly creating conflict for him with the religious leaders of the day. And so it's no surprise here, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they ask him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? It's interesting that in this discussion between the disciples and Jesus and the Pharisees, they're focusing in on washing your hands, right? Focusing in on on making sure that your hands are clean before you eat. That sort of washing, this sort of ceremonial washing is not a part of the law per se that we see in the Old Testament, washing your hands before you eat. In fact, it was part of a tradition, a tradition that was established in order to make sure that you were fully clean, right? Clean as in holy, clean as in pure, clean as in free from defilement. In the ancient world, especially in Palestine in the first century where this story is taking place, water is very scarce, It's a scarce commodity. And so this washing of your hands, it's not simply hygienic. That's not what they're talking about. They're not talking about hygiene. It becomes ceremonial. There's a significance there that's beyond the simple hygiene of the event. Here the Pharisees are not complaining to Jesus because his disciples aren't being hygienic enough. They're complaining because they're eating with defiled hands. Right? Defiled hands. Other ancient groups also included washing and bathing uh, and other rituals like that as a way of purification, as a way to to create uh, a sense of divide between that which is unclean and that which is clean, between that which is holy and that which is defiled, between the pure and the impure. To be clean meant that you could worship at the temple, meant that you could enter in and engage with worship. Cleanliness was the gateway to intimacy with God. Cleanliness became the gateway to intimacy with God. And some people in this time period, at this, in this place, were considered unclean based on their lifestyle. Not based on necessarily things that they've done, but on their lifestyle. A prostitute, a tax collector, someone who works with leather, someone who works with pigs. They were unclean as a rule because of the lifestyle that they have. Because their interaction with death or with disease. And these people were denied access to God. Cleanliness was the gateway that they could not go through. But uncleanliness, this idea of impurity, could also be picked up like a disease. If you touched someone who was impure, if you touched a leper, or if you touched a prostitute, or if you touched someone who had touched something that was dead, you could pick up uncleanliness. You could pick up impurity that you would then have to go be cleansed and washed in order to get off. Just in case a prostitute had touched something in the marketplace, it says that the Pharisees made sure when they came back from the market that they washed their hands. Because you never know who's out there touching things and, and rubbing up against you. So you have to maintain purity. You have to maintain cleanliness. One commentator says that Jews living in the diaspora, that is Jews who 
don't live in Palestine. Jews who live in Egypt and Rome, they especially latched on to this idea of washing your hands as a way to maintain cleanliness because they're surrounded by cultures that were not like them, surrounded by impurity. So they really gravitated towards this clear divide between clean and unclean. Let's go to verse 6. Jesus responds to them. He says, he says, he said, I'll read it here. Here it is. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about your hypocrites. The clean and unclean divide was always a way to limit access to God, to ensure that the people who got close to God were the right kind of people, were the kind of people that you would want close to God. And the people who couldn't get close to God, they were the wrong kind of people, people you wanted to keep out of the temple. And so in an attempt to purify people, so they could access God in an attempt to make them clean. The Pharisees had actually set up a system which would exclude most people, which would push them outside the temple, deny them access to God. That's why Jesus calls them hypocrites. You're trying to be holy. You're trying to be pure. You're trying to make things accessible. But in that very act, you are excluding people. You're pushing people out. You're denying them access. In the 1960s, we had what was called the Jesus Movement, right? You guys know about that. Yeah. I assume this. I wasn't around for it. Uh, thousands of people from the hippie culture, from countercultures, came into the church, and they revolutionized and revitalized evangelicalism within the United States. Gave it a, a jump when it was almost done. And, now, and, and it's funny because we call it the Jesus movement. Chuck Smith didn't wake up one day and say, well, it's time to start the Jesus movement, right? He didn't like pop out of bed and say, today's the day the Jesus movement begins. That's not what happened. That's the term that we give it, right? The way that it actually happened was you had a bunch of hippies who began to be disenfranchised with this idea of love, disenfranchised with that whole thing. It didn't seem to be panning out. And so they found themselves in churches. They came to churches. And what happened? They were kicked out of the churches, we remember the good thing. Remember about them coming back and them being saved and all that good stuff. We forget that it actually starts with being kicked out. They were removed from churches. They were denied access. Why? Because their hair was too long. Because they smelled. Because their clothes were wrong. Because their worldviews were wrong. Because their political views were wrong. Because their music was wrong. Because their stance on the war was wrong. We rejected them because they were unclean. They weren't the kind of people that we wanted in our churches. So we pushed them out. We denied them access to God. We said, well, if you could clean up. Well, if you could wash. Well, if you could purify yourselves. Well, if you could put down the marijuana. Well, if you could put down those ideologies. If you can cleanse yourself, you can have access to God. We kicked them out. They were thrown out of our churches. They were not worthy to have access to God. And it was only after they were thrown out that a few courageous pastors, including Chuck Smith, decided to do away with the ritual. Decided to do away with 
the standards. Decided to do away with the human traditions. And allow people to have access to God. It's at that moment that the Jesus movement was really birthed. Our traditions change because of that moment. The way that we sing music nowadays, the way that we read our Bibles, the way that we talk about ourselves, all has been heavily influenced by the Jesus movement. Human tradition, tradition, this human tradition always seeks to limit the access to God. And I want to just put something out there. We are ripe in this generation, in this time, for a move of God. And the question I have is, are we denying access to anyone? Are there some that we have denied access to? Because they don't look right, because they don't smell right, because their worldviews, because their political views, because something about them doesn't fit what we think should be allowed into the temple. Have we done the same thing? My goodness. We are ripe for a move of God. Prepare your own hearts, people. Because when human tradition seeks to keep people out, the kingdom of God always destroys barriers. Always removes those things which deny access. And the Spirit of God chooses those who seek God out. Not through human tradition, but through obedience. Start in verse 6, the rest of verse 6 here. These people honor me with their lips, says Isaiah, but their hearts are far from me. Go ahead, next one. He goes on. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And then finally, verse 8. You have let go of the commands of God. And you're holding on to the traditions of men. Here Jesus demonstrates for us one of the fundamental attributes about God. This is something that Jesus is teaching us about God. And that is this. God honors obedience over tradition. Ten times out of ten, God honors obedience over tradition. This is not a new idea. This is not a new concept. Psalm 51, 16 through 17, this is what it says. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. Hosea 6, 6, God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Jeremiah 7, 23, God says, obey me, obey me. And I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience in all I command you, that it may go well with you. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, you follow the traditions of men, but what you should have been following is your heart. And Jesus doesn't say, you follow the traditions of men, and the problem is you need a better tradition, a new tradition, something that looks updated and shiny. No. Human tradition denies access to God at all points, and obedience to God opens the door to intimacy with God. Obedience to God opens the door to intimacy. And I think some of us today, we struggle with that idea. It's a simple concept, but we struggle with that idea. It's it's like we're in the cold. It's like we're outside of a house, and Jesus is inside, and he's he's opened the door, and we say, Lord, let me in. Lord, Lord, let me in. And Jesus has opened the door, and he says, come. Come inside. Be with me. Be warm. Eat with me. And we're still outside saying, oh, God, let me in. 
I don't know what to do. And Jesus says, come inside. Be with me. Be intimate with me. Oh, Lord, would you do something? I feel so far from you. And God says, be with me. Would you just listen to what I'm saying and do it? Obedience opens the door for intimacy with God, where tradition cannot. Some people say, I feel distant from God. What should I do? Well, brother, open up your book. Let's see what it says. What does Matthew 25 say? Jesus comes and he says, Come, blessed ones, enter into my presence, because when I was hungry, you fed me. Because when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick and when I was in jail, you came and visited me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. Do you feed the hungry? We got uh, every third Monday, starting next week, we're going to go down to the Episcopal Church and feed the hungry. And if you're interested in doing that, if you're interested in feeding the hungry, stick around after church. We're going to have an impromptu meeting right here, really quickly. We're just going to hash out some details. We're going to bring some food down there. They have a kitchen. We're going to cook some food and feed some homeless people. We're going to feed the hungry. When Family Promise comes into town, volunteer. Bring some food and feed the hungry. House them. Come, help. And somebody says, well, that's not really my calling. You know, I don't really feel like... I mean, I don't really feel like I should be welcoming the stranger. I just, I, they scare me. Brothers and sisters, obedience opens the door to intimacy with God. Obedience. I feel distant from God. Well, sister, open your book. 2 Corinthians 9. It says, give joyously that which God has purposed on your heart. Oh, goodness. Do you give joyously? Well, to be honest, I give occasionally and with great hesitation. Sister, obey. Obedience opens the door to intimacy with God. What does Jesus say in Matthew? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Brother, do you go to Jesus when you need rest? Well, first I call my mom, and then I talk to my neighbor, and then I watch Netflix for three hours. And as I'm falling asleep, I come to Jesus. And you ask me why it's difficult for you to find intimacy with God. Listen, hear God's voice and obey. Obedience will open up a door of intimacy. And see, a lot of people get mixed up in that. We have something called the prosperity gospel, right? Which is sort of like a a really nice Ponzi scheme. If you pay into God, eventually God pays out into you, right? That's not how this works. That's not how this works. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. God is not a lotto. Right? God is not a snack machine. But God honors obedience. And he honors worship. And when he says, come, be a part, contribute, feed, give, help, serve. It's not like he's saying, I'm racking up the points here. No, he's looking for obedience. He's looking for obedience. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to pursue. John 13, 34. Oh, boy. A new command I give you. Love one another. Oh, that's difficult sometimes. That's difficult sometimes. How many of you, other than me, know somebody who's difficult to love? Anybody know somebody who's difficult to love? Okay. Most of you are honest people. That's good. Sometimes I love because it's easy. 
Sometimes I love because I'm obedient. Sometimes things that are hard to do are important to do. So I love, not because people deserve my love, but because when I was unlovable, when I was difficult to love, God loved me. And I get to reciprocate. I get to do that again. So I want to encourage you, and I want to ask you, what is God calling you to do in obedience? Because he's looking for intimacy. And again, we, we get this so messed up. We say, we think to ourselves, you know, this whole thing and this whole service and the whole worship and the whole tithing and all this stuff, that's just stuff, right? It's just stuff. It is just stuff. God's not really even interested in that. He doesn't care about the burnt offerings. He doesn't care about those things. What he's looking for is obedience. What he's looking for is intimacy. So the question is, if you are not feeling intimate with God, in what areas of your life are you being disobedient? What are the areas of your heart that need to be submitted to him? What are the commands that you've sort of been putting off? Engage. Human tradition limits access to God, but obedience will open the door. Here's the powerful thing about what Jesus is saying. There's this guy, there's this tax collector, right? He's not a nice guy. He's an evil man, a jerk. Okay? He, he doubles people's taxes because he likes to take the top. He'll go to widows who he knows can't pay, and he'll force them to pay extra so that he can skim it off the top, and if they don't pay, he'll have them thrown into prison. He sells out his own people, his own neighbors. He taxes his own family. He is the epitome of everything that is wrong and vile with society. A self-serving, self-seeking person who takes advantage of others. No religious person would want to associate with such a man. Nobody would want that person in your temple. Nobody would want that person near. And so they call him unclean. And in fact, when he does want to go see Jesus, the crowd won't even let him close. People block him off. He has to climb a tree just so he can see him. Because people won't let him close. They don't have anything to do with him. If there was something good about Jesus, the last thing that they want is for this man to have access to it. So he climbs a tree. And Jesus comes. Right? And he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must go to your house. Listen to that. That's, that's the literal words of it. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must go to your house. Not please can I. Not come down would you. Come down immediately. I must go to your house. Jesus, how could this Jesus, this righteous person, this beloved teacher, this Messiah, how could he insist on being with such an evil man, knowing what this man has done? And we see ourselves in this story also, don't we? Because as much as we have perhaps have not taken advantage of our neighbors, as much as we have not caused suffering in others to the extent that we can, at the same time we have to agree that there are reasons why people should shut us out. That the wrongs that we have done do not, do not at all, are not at all justifiable. We get locked out too sometimes. And so we see ourselves here in the tree. 
We may not be as evil as Zacchaeus, but we're just as needy for God's grace. We need the grace of God to overcome the barriers of sin, to overcome the uncleanliness of our hearts, to overcome our own shortcomings. And we're amazed because God, through Jesus, offers us access. But the story does not stop. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at access. It doesn't say, Zacchaeus, come down. I must go to your house today. And then Zacchaeus said, well, that's wonderful. And stayed in the tree. No. He comes down, doesn't he? He comes out of the tree. And he says he was happy to welcome him. And then this vile, unclean man who has now been offered grace. It says he gives half of his money to the poor. And then he goes around and every single person he has defrauded, every single person he has skimmed off of, every person that he's charged extra for, every widow that he caused to go hungry, he goes back and begins to pay them back four times what they paid him. In essence, going broke, probably very quickly, as he begins to take his ill-gotten gains, and distribute them to the people that he has oppressed. Obedience. Not human tradition, but obedience. That is what God is looking for. That's the grace of God. See, the grace of God, it's not just enough to say the grace of God allows you access to God. It allows you access so that you have the power to live out the calling of God in this world. That's what obedience is about. That's what intimacy with God is about. So we're going to pray. Would you close your eyes with me? Because I believe that there are some in this room who have been given a task by God and you've been ignoring it and you've been putting it off and you've been saying not yet and you've been making excuses. And God is coming today and he's saying, you know what? I want obedience. I'm interested in obedience. Lord, would you bring to our minds those things that we have neglected? Forgive us, God. Forgive us because we assumed that the human tradition was access enough. We assumed we could get into intimacy with you because we like to sing really loudly. We assumed that it was our prayers that could get us there. But no, it's obedience. So forgive us, Father. Help us, give us the courage necessary to climb down out of our trees. Give us the courage necessary to throw open the doors of the church. Give us the courage necessary to welcome those who don't look or act or think like we think we should, like we think that they should. Give us courage, God. Courage in our hearts to do the things that you've called us to do. To be the people that you've called us to be. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and anoint these people. And Jesus, if there's any of them here today, any person here today who says, I need courage, would you just raise your hand? 
Would you just raise your hand if you say, I need courage to do that which God is calling me to do. Lord, I pray that you would see these hands and honor these hands. In the name of Jesus, would you pour your spirit out on these people? God, would you fill their hearts with courage? It says that the battle is not to the strong nor to the swift, but it's to you, O Lord. Your word says that your spirit will fight on our behalf. So the courage that you give is not so much courage in ourselves, it's courage in God. Trust in God. Step out in faith. And watch as the Spirit of God begins to do miracles in your life and in the lives of the people around you. Holy Spirit, would you come now and fill us? And Lord, I believe even that there might be people here today who've said, I am not intimate with God. I don't know what it's like to feel that intimacy with Him. Perhaps I had it at one point, but it's gone now. And I need it again. I need that intimate relationship again. If that's you, if you feel like there's been a, a, a lack, if you feel like there's been a distance between you and God, I want to just ch- encourage you, encourage you and challenge you. Would you raise your hand and say, I need to be intimate with God today in a way that surpasses what I've ever felt before. In the name of Jesus, we pray for your presence to come, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come and touch these lives, touch these hearts. Behold, you desire intimacy in our innermost person. Holy Spirit, it's by your grace, by your mercy and affection that we can come before you. And God, I ask that you would begin to empower, begin to encourage Lord, for those of us who are on mission, give them the tools that they need to do the mission that you've called them to. For those of us who are without mission, speak to our hearts, O Lord. What are the things that you're calling us to do? God, for all of us, would you be near to us? Be close to our heart, holy God. Be with us, Lord. So now, God, In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray for a blessing on these people, for an outpouring of your grace. Let us never be content with human tradition. Let us only be content with obedience to you, O Lord. And we commit our lives and our hearts and our families and our church and our city to you. We give it to you, Lord. In your name, Jesus, amen.